You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hemostrage presenteras i samarbete med Nordic Spirit True White, den tobaksfria nikoprillan. This is Brett Anderson from Swade and I'm sitting in Frederick's apartment in Stockholm and uh, um, there's a piano in the room and it's quite a high-ceilinged, quite elegant apartment, a little bit Parisian with nice panelled doors and cornicing which is very nice outside not in this room and a kind of pine wooden floor with a a kind of a sort of keelim rug on the floor and some 1930s style uh kind of stained glass uh flowers um in the door panelings which is quite nice as well and all around us we have a various um, rock memorabilia, uh, including LPs, uh, classic 70s stuff, and lots of pictures of um, interesting people like Lemmy and uh, a picture of Bjork when she was a little girl playing a recorder, which is nice. And, um, yeah, and a piano, and here we are. And I don't have anything else to say. I've run out of things to say, so you can... I'm, I'm delighted to have you here. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here in this lovely place. I read your book, Cold Black Mornings. Uh, that expression, cold black mornings, is, uh, did the mornings feel very dark when you grew up in <laughs> Hayward's Heath? <laughs> they, they did, when it, when it, during winter, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was the... I mean, it was a, it was a kind of a, a, a device a, 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 yeah, that I used in the, in the book to kind of describe different periods of my life, and it sort of seemed to sort of fit with various points in my life. Um, so, yeah, I, I quite liked that the, it had a resonance for me. It's a pretty sad book, or, you know, you, your parents were very, very poor. Mm. But what's inspiring is how much they kind of created a space for you to explore art and... Mm music mm. and literature mm. you know mm. you you were not from a privileged background but they made sure that you mm. got a very like cultural upbringing yeah 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 uh, that, that was you know one one thing that i'm uh, very sort of proud of in lots of ways that it was it was quite a unique well i don't know if it was unique i, I don't know it, it felt marginal um uh, and i'm kind of quite proud of that that it was that, that they gave me a very rich upbringing culturally 
Um, they were never particularly materialistic people. Um, and and the onus on, on life was sort of like what you created, what you made, you know, what you kind of, you know, and that, and that kind of fed into what I did as, a, as an artist, I think. I was, I was always, you know, if you, if you wanted something, you, you made it yourself. And when it came to writing songs, I applied the same logic to, to songwriting. You said that earlier this year when Blue Hour, the new Suede album, was announced that it was supposed to be very unpleasant and that Suede albums needed to be unpleasant. <laughs> how, how do you make sure that they're unpleasant enough? <laughs> yeah, the level of unpleasantness. Uh, I, I suppose I was just sort of trying to point out that there's no point in us trying to kind of make mainstream music anymore. I don't think it's you know it's sort of we're we're kind of beyond that and we should be beyond that. It's not it's not you know it'll be boring for us still to be trying to sort of write songs like She's in Fashion and these kind of songs. It's, we're not that sort of band anymore. We're kind of you know the beauty of where we are in our career right now is that we're kind of able to sort of make interesting left field music and we we're, we're privileged enough to have sort of enough people out there that 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 they're interested in it and want to buy the records and come to the shows and and enable enable us to do that and that's a wonderful thing because we basically can kind of make the make kind of like make exactly the music we want as long as it's interesting i think and, and i think that's it's our it's our duty as an artist to try and push that to try and push the envelope a bit and to try and make music that 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 does that is confrontational Uh, I see bands, some bands of our generation that are still together, the ones that are still together and still making music, and it feels to me that they're just repeating themselves, that they're just, they're, they're sort of, they, they don't seem to be challenging themselves, they seem to be making the same records again and again. Uh, and I, did, I never wanted that for Suede. And this record is a challenging record, but I think it's a challenge that's that when you, you know, if you step up to it, it's it's kind of, it's very rewarding and in lots of ways you have to push past that and once you once you push through the looking glass kind of thing as it were it's a very very rewarding record and 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 I'm intensely proud of it uh, and it's and we're finding new ways to be swayed and that's that that for me is a is a is a huge thing you know we're we're trying to redefine what it is to be in this band and and that's a big quest you prepared a few songs that you listened to while making this record or songs that kind of inspired it in a bit yeah uh, what would you like to play so let's play um if we're talking about challenging let's play um there's a song called uh a reality asylum by crass i am no feeble christ not me he hangs in glib delight upon his cross upon his cross above my body lowly me christ forgive forgive holy he he holy he holy shit he forgives forgive Forgive, I, I, me, I, I vomit for you, Jesu, Christi Christus, puke upon your papal throne. Wrapped you are in the bloody shroud of churlish suicide. Wrapped I am in the bloody cloud of hellish genocide, petulant child. So this is basically like, you know, radio theatre. Mm, it is, yeah. It, it was, it's a, an incredibly sort of dramatic... I've never heard that song before, and I was, you know, my, I was thinking of Crass as more of a, you know, not as arty as that in a way. Mm, yeah, well, this is definitely. I mean, most Crass is sort of, you know, quite sort of 
conventionally sort of punky, you know, drums, bass, guitar. But this is a, this is almost like a sound collage. Um, and the reason I chose this in particular was that it kind of um, it inspired a, a song on, uh, well, not a song really, a track on the album called called Roadkill, which is basically a sort of like a um, a spoken word piece. And it's the first first spoken word piece that we've ever ever um, kind of committed to, to you know we've ever we've ever um, released as a band. It's sort of a poem about the dead bird. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's a kind of like a little poem about the dead bird, set to a kind of like slightly spooky backdrop. And it's not quite as terrifying as Reality Asylum, <laughs> uh, and and I don't think it's it's probably not as not as not, not as sort of overtly confrontational. And then there's uh, like a a scene on the album where you seem to find a dead bird with your son. Mm. You hear it like, you're, you're burying the bird. Yes, and, exactly. Or yeah. it's someone who sounds like your son asks you, what are you doing, daddy? I'm, I'm, what does it look like? I'm burying the bird. Yes. Some of the songs on the album seem to be like written from a child's perspective. Mm, they are, yeah. That was one of the one of the first um, sort of uh, starting points that I had for, for, for making The Blue Hour. I wanted to, I wanted to write it from a child's perspective. Um, I think I've been thinking about children a lot. I mean, my son is my muse now. How old he's is six, he now? He's six years old, and 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 he, you know, he kind of provides lots of ideas for me. You know, it's it's fascinating being a father and and kind of and seeing the world through his eyes. And of course, when you're looking through a child's eyes, you're also looking through your eyes. It's you know, you're looking through, you're seeing yourself as the child, and you're seeing. Um, the world through your eyes so 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 relate sort of like writing an album through a child's eyes is very much almost like a a way of talking about vulnerability and fear and all of these sorts of things the kind of like the darker aspects of 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 being a child i suppose and those are those are emotions that that the adults feel as well so the the album isn't just about isn't kind of like it's not as simple as being an album about childhood or something like that it's kind of like it's about sort of like those those primal emotions but it's sort of like it, it's through the prism of a child's consciousness also when you're a kid you know shadows seem darker and, yes. and the light seems brighter exactly it's it's heightened isn't it it's a, yeah. it's a heightened state you know everything's kind of more exciting and more terrifying at the same time and, and and I suppose I was just trying to reflect some of that. I mean, it doesn't always work, and it's not like every song is is slavishly through a child's eyes. There's lots of deviations, but that was the sort of like general sort of mood I wanted to try and create. Uh, and it doesn't always, it, I don't always apply. You know, when I have these kind of like rules for albums, I think the last thing you do is 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 slavishly follow it to the detriment of the record. It's important that the record it, it works musically. That's the most important thing. Uh, but that was one of the ideas behind it, yeah. I wanted to play some some music that you listened to a lot when you were a kid. Mm.
This, this of course, is Franz Liszt. Which one is it? Liebestrom. Ah, Liebestrom, of course it is. So Franz Liszt was your father's hero. Yeah. He, he named your big sister Blondine, Blondine after yes. Liszt's daughter. That's right. So yeah. how close did you come to being named Franz? <laughs> well, I was luckily, because he named my sister, I was luckily named by my mother. Um, but I was actually born on, on, on Horatio Nelson's birthday. And Horatio Nelson was another obsessive hero, an obsession of my father's, another hero of my father's. And so... Uh, yeah. Um, no, he was a classical music obsessive, my dad. And, and he sort of was one of these people that was so obsessed with it that he'd do crazy things. Like he he went to, got called up for jury service and he'd, he, instead of swearing on swearing his oath on the Bible, he swore on a biography of Franz Liszt. And, <laughs> and he used to get, drive his little broken car to, 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 to Hungary every couple of years and bring back, back a little piece of soil. Did you go from, with him? No, from Franz Liszt's birthplace and put it and wearing a file around his neck. This sort of thing, you know, this sort of... Uh, and it, 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 always in our house there was this torrent of, of very loud classical music and Liszt, Wagner, Berlioz, um, Beethoven, all of these people sort of thing. And I think I rejected it as a child because... Like you, like you do. You don't. You you know. It's your duty as a as a child and as a teenager to to reject the values of your parents. That's part of your establishing your own identity. I think, and I think that I rejected his his music as well. And because of that, I, I never. You know, I like you played it to me. I thought it was it was Wagner. I never know the names of all these. All of the melodies are, are locked in my head and, and will be forever. Forever will be there. But I kind of rejected it culturally, and I I drifted into into punk music you know that was that that's what that was how i identified myself how i identified myself and it, it's difficult to think of any music that's you know less complex than than punk whereas yeah. franz liszt is a true piano virtuoso this is very very complicated yeah. classical it's, music and i think that, that there's that, 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 you know, that it's a there's a reason why i chose punk because it because it was diametrically opposed to the complexities and the values Uh, 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 of classical music, you know, it's a completely different thing. And, and uh, defined me as a person. Uh, and how did your father feel about the Pistols? Oh, he thought they were rubbish. You know, he thought anything that wasn't Franz Liszt or or, or, or Wagner was rubbish. You know, he had he. he did you try to like convince him to no, listen to it? And... We, we had many many raging arguments about the, the the relative merits of pop music and classical music. Um, which would always end in a quite a, quite a fraught way, but um, no, of course it was. Of course, I tried to convince him, but it's like you know, sort of like you know, music's an emotional thing. It's not a, it's not an intellectual thing. You can't convince someone that something is better, quote unquote, than something else because it's purely subjective. There's no there's no sense in which in which. Uh, crass and better or worse than Franz Liszt. It's it's just subjective. Still, it's difficult to think of, you know, a, a band that has used more classical elements than than Suede. You've, mm. uh, I mean, your father's yeah. musical taste must have rubbed up off in, in you in some ways. I think it did. Yeah, I think it did. Despite... Especially on on this album. Yeah, you I know, think it, I think it did. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, you know, the, we have used classical instruments on us on our records it's not what we're really known for i don't think i think we're known for a sort of seedier kind of like 
you know, drowners and animal nitrate, all those kind of things. We're more known for those sort of like quite raucous sort of things. But yeah, of course, we've used classical um, uh, palettes as well because why not? You know, they're there and they're, they're, they give they give records a size. Um, I think more importantly, though, my father's kind of music kind of rubbed off into me, rubbed sort of um, influenced me in the in the in the way that in which I wrote songs. Um, and I'd always re- looking for drama within melodies. Um, you know, lots of the songs have almost a operatic's the wrong word. There's a, there's a kind of drama to the way the, the, the way I reach for notes, and you know, which which possibly is influenced by my father's love of classical. What do you think he would have made of you collaborating with the Philharmonic Orchestra of Prague on this record? He would have loved it. He would have absolutely loved it. You know, he's not around to see it, but it's 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 you know his 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 influence on me as a person is is huge. Yeah, of course, he's my father. Still, you write about how he would kind of belittle your musical achievements by mm. calling your your work your little tunes and that yes. they couldn't compare to to yes. Liszt. Yeah, of course, there was a you know I think there's a there's always a sort of um, a tension between fathers and sons you know there's always an underlying i suppose it's you know the it's the it's the legend of oedipus isn't it you know the kind of like the 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 the, the kind of sense that there's a you know that the the that the, the older generation will be supplanted by the young the, by the younger generation that there's a clash because you suddenly at a certain age you know when you when when a son become becomes a teenager you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, those kind of years, you suddenly become not a man, but you're definitely not just a little child anymore. And you start to challenge the authority of your father. And I think that very much happened with me and my dad, yeah. And I think it happens all the time. There's one thing that I have to be very, I'm very conscious of with my own, with my own family, of not sort of trying not to fall into those traps, you know. One of my favorite parts of the book is where when you go with your father to the Royal Albert Hall for some classical concert and there's this um, piece by, this modern piece by Bella Bartok yes. that's performed first and your father, he he gets to his feet and he screams, rubbish! That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, I mean, he was, he was kind of outrageous. That's hilarious. He was outrageously outspoken, my dad. He was one of those kind of like... He could be incredibly embarrassing. He he almost like reveled in in the fact that he was embarrassing his family. You know, he'd sort of say really embarrassing things loudly in restaurants, and I don't know, just sort of like odd things like that. Not that we particularly went to many restaurants, but in public generally. And uh, you know, yeah, the, the, that one occasion was 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 hilarious. We were watching this Bella Bartok thing at the Albert Hall. Uh, and and it, the piece finished. And it was a kind of avant-garde piece of classical music, and he he stood up. There's that moment w- between when the or- when when the, the orchestra fi- finishes that final note, and then there's a split second of silence between that final note and when the um, audience is, erupts into a you know into applause. And, and and in that split second, he stood up on his seat and shouted rubbish at the top of his voice. And it just rang out in the in the Albert Hall, and literally everyone swivelled round and stared at us, kind of agape, you know. Uh, how old were you then? 
Uh, well, this is when I was in. This is this is in, when I was in my twenties. Uh, okay, so you were sort of famous at that point. And... Yeah, this, this is you know I kind of took him there as a sort of special treat. I didn't you know when I was a kid I didn't used to go to the Royal Albert Hall with no. my dad. It was the, this sort of an event that happened sort of you know in my twenties. I kind of bought tickets because I could afford to take him in those days. You know, and your mother was very interested in the arts as well. She was a seamstress. She was a scene, she, she used to so so um, yeah make make clothes, um, but she was an artist. She was a painter. That's how she sort of defined herself, I suppose. She wasn't a successful painter, um, but that's what she used to love to do. And she made money through sewing clothes and um, yeah doing odd jobs and stuff. Yeah. I was surprised when I read that she would hang up uh, drawings by Aubrey Beardsley around the house because I, I have this clear memory of like the first time I saw anything by Aubrey Beardsley. I was in my late twenties, and mm. I, my first thought was, "Wow, this is so suede. Oh, okay. This is so like death, sex, yes. decadence, and some sort of and you know pe- very and beautiful flowery uh, feeling and ink drawings. Yeah, yeah, the ink. Drawings. Yeah, no, there's something very, very elegant about about Aubrey Beardsley, and, and and incredibly evocative. And you're absolutely right; it does it does resonate with. With lots of the lots of the sort of suede iconography, I suppose maybe not the sleeves or anything like that, but just there's something about it. There's lot that you're right. There's lots of sex in it. There's lots of elegance in it, and, and there's a there's a there's a there's a sort of suggestion of threat in it as well, isn't there? So yeah, I'd, lots yeah. of women holding men's chopped off heads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a Salome one, isn't there? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, but um, no, I love I love Beardsley. Still love Beardsley. Yeah, she was very very. Um, Artistic person, my mum. She was a painter, and she very, very creative. Uh, she was always making things or mending things, and you know, she was she's an amazing, amazing woman. You know, she wasn't sort of uh, a successful artist, but she sort of like I think that she not commercially, but she kind of she sort of planted a seed in me and my sister. My sister has become an artist as well, so we both become sort of like creative people. I think. Uh, you know, and I have very much her, have her to thank for that. A juxtaposition This is Stone Milker by Bjork. Which album is this? This is from the last one, isn't it? The Vulcan, Vulcanaria, or what it's called. I never pronounced them. Have you ever worked with her? No, I've never met her, worked with her, or anything. I'm quite, I'm quite happy to keep a distance and just admire her from afar. To be honest, I don't really have a desire to, 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 to you know, I just like her music. She's an amazing artist. People talk about, you know, the, the word sort of, you know, the accolades and the word genius and all these sorts of things are, are very, are very lightly banded around. But I think she's very, very talented, extremely talented. You know, kind of like almost like once in a generation talent, and me and me and Neil especially were listening to this a lot when we were um, kind of thinking about writing the Blue Hour. Just you know, just kind of this was just one of the songs that was knocking that was knocking around a lot. We we were we were playing.
went through your old diaries when writing your your book, mm. and you um, you found them, you know, not very interesting. Mm. And then you, you write in the book that pra- perhaps Morrissey was right when he once slagged you off as a deeply boring young man, <laughs> which is like, yeah. know, when you look back, that's a pretty funny Morrissey quote. He, he also said that the it, same it wasn't, time. It wasn't just funny when I look back, it was funny at the time as well. You know, it's, it's always funny. Yeah. And he also said that Brett Anderson will never forgive God for not making him Angela Bowie. <laughs> But that's really the pot calling the kettle black, right? Because <laughs> Morrissey must have been a, an even bigger Bowie fan than you. I don't know about that, maybe. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was funny. It, you know, I, I, I think it was quite, quite, you know, his, his, little, his little diatribe against me was kind of like, was, was actually very funny and, and, and quite creative. At least he doesn't, it wasn't just sort of like someone slagging someone off in a, in a dull kind of uh, caveman-like way. He kind of, at least, at least he kind of thought about it. I thought it was quite nice. Yeah, I, I was fine I, with that. <laughs> I, re- I really missed those days when Morrissey was funny and witty in interviews. Um, you know, I, I would listen, I would read his interviews before I even got into the music of mm. of Morrissey. But that's yeah, absolutely. He was, yeah, of course, he was a you know amazing artist, and that kind of bled through to his whole personality. It was you know, but Morrissey showed up at one of your first concerts, right? Or one of uh, your yeah. He, yeah, one of the early ones. Yeah, it must have been quite spectacular. Because uh, yeah, it was yeah, fun, and he, you know, he covered one of our songs and bloody bloody blah, blah, and you know, yeah, it was nice. It's nice to have have um, have have sort of patronage, patronage, whatever the word is, from from people you like. Of course, it is. Yeah. How many times did you meet Bowie? Um, a few times. I, yeah. I remember this NME article with him standing next to you, and there was a, mm. a caption that read, "Someday, son, all of this will be yours." Yes. No, I did a, an interview with him, um, yeah, for the enemy years and years ago in, in 1993, which was very nice. And he was very funny and very sweet and, yeah. My, my, my abiding memory of him was that he was, he, was very, he, was, he was very charming and very nice and, and wasn't kind of, you know, obviously I was kind of slightly intimidated by his reputation and by the fact that I was a big fan, but he was very, kind of just really nice to be with and just hung out and we had fun. It was nice. We had a fun day. Because that was right after he, you know, he did some kind of comeback after his sort of down period, which mm. ended with yeah, Tin, quite, tin Machine. Was but quite, Black Tie, White Noise was the album, right? That he yeah, he was put quite out unfashionable at the time, actually. You know, he was, this is what people sort of, you know, uh, rock history kind of often rewrites the past to fit the, fit the truths of the present. And he went through a period of being very, very unfashionable. Um, and when I was sort of referencing him in those days, it was, it was actually a little bit outré to reference him. Now it's de rigueur. You've got to mention that you're a big fan of David Bowie because it's one of those, one of those things that, you, that that's almost like illegal not to mention. Uh, and it's become a, it's you know, it's you know what I mean. It's like it's just yeah, whatever. And people some, forget some, about labyrinth. Someone, someone, like say, someone saying they like David Bowie is is kind of like slightly meaningless, isn't it? It's like kind of, you know, it's like some, an artist saying they like Picasso or something like that. It's like yeah, whatever. And who asked you like you know, it's but in in those days it was kind of like whoa, you know. I had a Douglas McCarthy from Knights Reb as a guest here on this pod, and he, he talked about how Knights Reb turned Bowie down when he asked him to be his support act mm. on the Never Let Me Down tour. Right. And when they talk about that now, people say, but you're insane. How could you turn down Bowie? Yeah. But he was so unfashionable that they thought that it would be bad for their not yeah, very big Chelmsford 
electronic band to tour with Bowie. Yeah, no, he did go through a, a, definitely a, a wilderness period, yeah. And before I play you this song, let me just put in a pouch of tobacco-free snooze from Nordic Spirit True White, our sponsors. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Stina Nordenstam, mm, mm. you did two songs with her on her mm. album This is Stina Nordenstam from 2001. Mm. And she, I remember in the 90s there were a lot of Swedish indie groups, but none of them really impressed anyone in, in London except for Stina Nordenstam. Mm. A lot of people had so much respect for her. And they, mm. Mm. No, she's a fantastic artist. Th- this is from really her last album, The World is Saved, from 2004, and she hasn't really done anything since then, just yeah, written for other people. And that was a fantastic record as well. I really like The World is Saved. It's got a couple of great songs in it. Um, I think she's a great songwriter, and it's just a shame she hasn't done anything for a while. Yeah. What, do, what do you remember from collaborating with her? Um, well, we did it in LA, bizarrely enough. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of weird... In Los Angeles? Yeah, we... we the, reco- the last place I would think yeah, of. Yeah, exactly, yeah. We, we, we actually, I actually flew to LA, and she was recording it there. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, her, her whole vibe is, is very wintry and Scandinavian, and, and my vibe is isn't that dissimilar and, and it's, I suppose it's quite odd that we, we actually made that record in well I, I might, I, she made that record and I just popped in and sung a couple of vocals in, in Los Angeles so it was a weird thing yeah kind of like you know kind of so being you went in, to the beach and you hung out just hung out walked around and chatted and stuff like that and, you know yeah she was great I haven't seen her for many years and I wish her well she actually lives in this area of Stockholm. I see her from time to time in the grocery store. Yeah. And it's a bit like, you know, what it would have been like to meet 
Scott Walker. Yes. In the grocery store in London in the early 90s before he returned with yes. Tilt. Yeah, I'm sure she'll come back and do something because she's an amazing talent. And if you do see her in the grocery store, say hello from me. Speaking of Scott Walker, um, you wanted to play a track by his too, right? Yeah, that's uh, we can play Big Louise. She stands all alone. You can hear her hum softly from her fire escape in the sky. the reasons I got into Scott Walker because you mentioned him in some interviews in the early 90s mm. Mm. yeah I mean what a voice that is it really is an amazing voice one of the greatest voices um, but that song in, in particular is just it's, it's, it's such a beautiful song I just I can listen to it over and over again there's something so breathlessly romantic about it and so moving uh, and that album that, that it comes from which is uh, Scott 3 I think It's one of my favorite records ever. It's just so beautiful. And the sad young man's gone away. Her bathrobe's torn. And tears smudge your lipstick. And the neighbor. Just whisper all day. Do you still follow his career? Uh, yeah, I'm still. I still listen to the records he it's puts out. Very experimental. Yeah, I think it's commendable that he that he that he's pushing that far left field. I think it's it's the sort of thing that people of his generation should be doing. I think it's amazing. You know, going back to what I was saying earlier about uh, you know Suede haven't gone that far left field. Um, yet, but you know, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to respect that in an artist. The fact that he's not sort of just going through the motions; that he's still challenging well, himself. You, <laughs> that's the last thing you could accuse him of. No, absolutely. I remember this record; he was imitating Donald Duck. Yeah, on a track, and he, you know, because most people when they discover Scott Walker, they fall in love with with his voice, mm. and on his later records. He doesn't sound anything remotely like that. He has a very high-pitched... Okay, I, which, re- which record are we talking about? What, what, uh, well, what from he... The Drift. Oh, The Drift, yeah. You know, he sings with a very high-pitched voice. Yeah. W- w- doesn't have that kind of deep yes. bass-like um, yeah. echo anymore. No. Well, I'm, he's... Pretty... he's, he's you know, it's, it kind of reminds me of Nico mm. trying to tear down her old blonde... Yeah. Uh, goddess image because yeah, yeah. she hated that mm. I think as an artist you often get sort of trapped by your persona uh, you know the persona is something that's that isn't that, that is separate from the person uh, and it's, it's, it's some, sometimes it's out of your control the persona is something that's made up 
um, partly by you, but also partly by the media as well, and partly by people's reaction to you. And 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 he probably just got sick of the persona of of, of kind of like the Scott Walker persona of this guy that does these very um, you know, baritone sort of, you know, bassy sort of uh, beautiful harmonious singing. And he just wanted to just take, you know, just to subvert that image, I suppose. And I, and I think that's a very commendable thing to do because it's just, it's, he's obviously challenging himself. You know, whether you actually like the music that he's creating is another thing, but it's, it's one of those things that you sort of, you have to respect the fact that he's, he's trying to do something interesting. He's trying to push it a little bit further out. Speaking of personas, something that really blew my mind about your book is what you write about your very feminine and flamboyant style in the early 90s. Yeah. You, you, you write like this. People will interpret it as some kind of fake gay thing or a nod to 70s glam or something similarly dreary. But looking back, I'm convinced I was trying to replace the feminine absence in my life with an ersatz one of my own making. So basically, you 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 think that maybe you're... Feminine poses were all about recreating what you lost when your first big love, Justine Frischman, left you, and when when your mother died, it, it was yeah, those two things, yeah, like uh, creating know, a femininity within yourself. I think so. It's quite complex, and it, it's, it's it's sort of it's kind of difficult to talk about in in absolute terms because it, it, but it's just that that's just looking back on it. You know the the kind of confusion of those times. That's 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 the way the the way that I can kind of like intellectualize it, I suppose. And um, it, it it wasn't a kind of it wasn't a sort of like just some sort of cheeky sort of uh, kind of nod to seventies glam or whatever that people assumed it was. It, it it sort of seemed to have something. It seemed to be an expression of grief to me. And that's something that you that you've discovered. You know, with hindsight, or was it something yeah, that you felt think, at that time? Yeah, I think you do. I think you, I think you, you discover a lot about yourself in hindsight. It's interesting, kind of, um, you know, having a document of your life like I do with my records I make and things like that. It's, it's. I'm able to sort of like look at. Look, look, I suppose most people have kind of like photograph albums. Or you know that's what documents their life conventionally. I have that as well, but you know with, I have records, so I can I can sort of like look into, and and I have performances I can look at. And I can sort of like you know, and the, and the sh- uh, your persona shifts through through time as well, and you're kind of you're able to assess it, uh, and and you know that that's really interesting. I can sort of like see how um, how I was shifting as a person through those times as well. And that's definitely that was definitely a factor, I think, in those days. You write very, you know, beautifully about how much Justine Frischman meant to you and how she inspired you, and yeah. how, how the band would probably never have had the kind of success that it had unless she had absolutely dumped yeah. you. Mm, mm, mm. Well, not just that. I think that that's that's possibly you know a, 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 her influence on the band was 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 huge as well. It wasn't just the fact that she dumped me; it was the fact that. The the fact that 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 you know her her taste making and and our relationship together uh, and the kind of things that we talked about together were were, were hugely influential on me and, and her as a person is it cre- created me to a certain extent you know it wasn't just the fact that we split up that's far too simplistic and almost misogynistic to look at it like that um, she was an incredibly incredibly inspiring creative force in my life I think and I don't think Suede would be the same with would have been the same without her. Suede couldn't have carried on with her in the band, definitely not. But she definitely had a huge role to play within the band, I think, yeah. 
many books like this are written to like settle old scores and you know they're a bit vengeful mm. uh, but you you write you know very kindly about nearly everyone that you you've worked with mm. it's it's mm. a very yeah well i i mean i just i just didn't really want to be lying in bed at four o'clock in the morning thinking oh my god what have i done you know, it's, it's, I, wish I, it's extremely, I wish i hadn't <laughs> said that about so and so it's extremely far from morris's biography if you compare them because he uh, well, well you uh, you haven't i mean i don't through I, any court cases either so. i just i can't be bothered it's like uh, you know when you look at people slagging other people off it, i just sort of feel a bit sorry for them i just kind of like wanted to pat them on the head and go oh they're there you know it's it's kind of like it's almost like an, an insult to yourself the fact that you've still got grievances about these things in a funny sort of way do you know what i mean it's like get over it it was a long time ago you know it's uh, i don't i don't have any kind of hatred of anyone really it's 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 sort of like you know things happen these things get dis- taken completely out of out of context and get distorted and uh, you know, and there's 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 the threads of reality. There's the real there's real things that happen, and there's how how the, how they're reported by the press, and they're very very different things. One of my old favorite Swede songs is "Killing of a Flash Boy," which I just assumed was about some sort of clockwork orange hooligans. But then when I read the, your book, mm. uh, apparently it's it was inspired by your very short and not very successful career as a DJ. <laughs> what, what happened? Uh, yeah, well, I just wasn't very good at it. No, <laughs> weird thing that I, I kind of, I went into, a, I was unemployed in Manchester and I went into a job centre and, and, and saw, bizarrely enough, in the little cards that they used to have on the, you know, in the job centre advertising jobs, one of the jobs was, was for a DJ. And I thought, well, I like music. I, I, I play records. I can do that sort of thing. So I went along to this club and pretended that I'd have it, had experience, which I obviously hadn't. And uh, I just wasn't very good at it. And oh, Always left these huge gaps between the um, between the records and uh, and uh, and um, yeah, it just wasn't very good. And yeah, I got chased home a couple of times, and yeah, it was a it was a pretty rough. I mean, Manchester's you know is is a it's a salty city. It's it's a fantastic city. There's a fantastic energy kind of thing, but you don't want to walk up the wrong street and you don't want to rub the wrong person up the wrong way. Like like any big city, it's like that. And I kind of like, annoyed a few people and got ch- chased home. So, what, what kind of stuff did you play that made them so furious? I mean, just uh, st- stuff that I, you know, probably, you know, it was a, it was a kind of like a. Uh, you know, the, the, you're expected to play things like Phyllis Nelson and uh, and Wham and, and Bob Marley, and and I played the th- Fall, or the f- <laughs> things like the Fall and and Felt, and, and you know the kind of more left field things, and people hated it. So, you know, there was a kind of intersection point of, of stuff I liked that they also liked as well, which was mainly sort of like seventies things like Roxy Music and stuff like that. But it was yeah, they, they, they you know the, 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 lots of the audience kind of hated my my music choice and would um, be very vocal about that yeah and so one one night I got chased home and uh, and I ran into a into a into a school and, and hid in the in the industrial bins in the school <laughs> so the, yeah that inspired I suppose it inspired the lyrics to that song yeah
you talked earlier about your big sister and how she made you listen to a lot of music. I, I think she made you discover Kate Bush, right? Mm. Absolutely, yeah. Hounds of Love. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean. When I think of Kate Bush, I, I think of romantic country landscapes, green hills and dark mm. forests. It's pretty far from the miserable suburban areas where many Swede songs are, mm. are, are set. new record blue hour is kind of a bit more in, into going into the forest well yeah i mean it's, you, you, you mentioned trees a lot and yeah i mean it's it's dry kind of, leaves it's not it's not a it's not an urban record in that in that sense i, I wanted to set it in a particular place um in those kind of scruffy weed strewn concrete bits of the hinterland between the city and the countryside It's almost like in those nowhere places. There's a, one of my favorite books is a book called Concrete Island by J.G. Ballard. Um, and in it, the protagonist kind of like crashes his car and gets stuck in this sort of like weird little sort of sort of island between, a, between the lanes of a motorway and has to live there. And it's a slightly kind of unbelievable premise, but it's kind of like, it's a really interesting thing where he kind of has to make it, make a new life in this sort of weird little place that humanity's forgotten about but that's been created by humanity and i find those i find those little parts of the world actually really fascinating those little in-between sort of places uh but yeah it's, it's a lot more of a kind of rural record lots of the lots of the imagery in in the record is kind of rural but i didn't want to do a conventional sort of chocolate box john constable kind of vision of the countryside Um, I wanted to sort of like talk about the sort of the unpleasant side of the countryside, really, the kind of like the sense of threat that's there as well. I wanted to kind of give that record that sense as well. So some of the places that you describe feel a bit like, you know, where if you're a serial killer, that's where you would <laughs> dump a body because it's, it's not too far from the motorway. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's pretty much the terrain that I was, I was trying to place the record in. Serial killer, kind of prime serial killer territory. Yeah. I, I wonder where British music would be without J.G. Ballard. I, I saw yes. this documentary called Synth Britannia where it yeah. was obvious how much novels like Crash inspired mm. all like industrial and electronic music. Warm leatherette and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, even, even Dogman Star had, you know, elements of his... Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's funny though, because, because when people first, when we released the first album uh, and there were lots of J.G. Ballard um, uh, 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 in, in reviews, I read, oh, well, they've obviously been reading J.G. Ballard. And I actually hadn't been reading J.G. Ballard and I had to go back and, and, and read him and it's like, okay, this is interesting. Um, I'd never read him before. Uh, and that, that was quite interesting that, that, that people always assume that you're referencing something and you're not always referencing something. Some, sometimes you just think in a similar way to someone else or you just have those reference points, you know. 
but yeah, he's a fascinating writer. Was a fascinating writer, and obviously, obviously, hugely intelligent. And 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 uh, his novels are interesting because they're sort of they're not particularly enjoyable. <laughs> but, they're pretty hard they're, reads, aren't they? They're quite hard reads. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They're, it's not like kind of you sit down and go, "Oh, have a nice evening with J.G. Ballard tonight in front of the fire." It's not really like that. You know, you it, t- of, it took me months it, to get through Crash. Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, you're sort of sitting there like this with your kind of, you know, kind of slightly uncomfortable and on, on edge reading his books. But it's more, yeah, the imagery that he creates is really, really powerful. And I think that's why it, why it resonates with so many songwriters. There's a, there's a sort of a very, very powerful kind of world he creates you know this sort of like uh, this world of sex and uh, and kind of like savagery and and, and uh, tribalism and all, all of these kind of like you know very very powerful kind of like um uh, um sort of instincts you know and and i think that's what the songwriters respond to the last time i listened to dogman star which was you know just last last week i i kind of felt that it was this you know a record that was talking about the future where Britain is mm. heading now. Yeah. The vibe is more apocalyptic now than it was back mm. in 1994 when that mm. album was made mm-hmm. all over mm-hmm. Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, both no. politically and, you know, talk about the climate and everything. That's interesting. Yeah, I think it was a record that's very, very out of step. And, you know, when everyone else was 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 sort of singing about some sort of cosy little um fantasy world uh, you know based in you know the swinging 60s and all you know this very very sort of parochial cozy world and celebrating britain dogman star was definitely not celebrating britain it was kind of like looking at kind of like a i suppose a dystopian britain in lots of ways uh if it was looking at any sort of britain it was trying to stretch its wings a little bit further than that but uh, yeah, it's a, I think you you might be right. I mean, it's not for me to sort of sit here and kind of like say, "Oh, look at this I record, was right. isn't it? Isn't it uh, aren't <laughs> hey, I right? And isn't I it ahead of so. its time?" But it's kind of. I think it was interestingly out of step. And I, uh, something about the, the song "We Are the Pigs" is you know that that was a a, a kind of the, the the riots that happened in London uh, a few years ago. Um, I thought that that when when the news reported that that would have been a perfect um, f- song for them to be to be playing as a soundtrack because that was basically a, a song that I wrote about a, a stylized riot. We all watched them burn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's a song from my favourite Foles record, which is called Total Life Forever. I'm not familiar with, with the Foles at all. Where are they from? Oh, okay. Well, they're from Oxfordshire. Okay, have they not really kind of made it over here yet? 
I, I, I just haven't heard them. Yeah, okay. There's an album called Total Life Forever, which you, you should definitely go and, go and listen to, because it's a really amazing record. It's their second record. They've made four, I think, but this is their second one. Kind of, sort of inspired. There's a song called "Tides" on the new album, which is which starts off very minimal and then grows to a huge crescendo. And I think it was inspired by the dynamics of this record. your son listen to or you have a stepson that's a bit older right <laughs> my stepson listens to listens to lots of kind of um trap listens to things like that oh yeah the weekend and stuff like that is, is that is that trap is that, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure what what genre it is but, uh, things like that. but he also likes this there's one there's one one thing that he really likes which is um is this guy called jimothy lacoste who you should check out as well he's one of he's almost like this sort of comedy rapper and you're not, you're not quite sure if he's serious or not. It's one of those sort of things. You're sort of listening to him frowning, but it's, it's hilarious, brilliant stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's every generation's right to listen to music that their, that, that their parents' generation doesn't like or doesn't get. In fact, that's virtually the point of being a teenager, that you're kind of like, you, you, you get into music that your parents don't like. You know, we, I think there's something terribly wrong if, you, if, you, if parents and children both like the same thing. But you mentioned somewhere that you and your stepson have been jamming out old pistol songs yeah, together. Yeah, we do that sometimes. He plays the drums and we, 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 we sort of, you know, it's, I, I don't know how to play kind of the music he listens to on a guitar so I, do, I just sort of say well we're going to play the kinks and we're going to play the sex so what, what, now. what's your band called uh, we haven't got a name we need a, we need a name don't we yeah that's uh, I don't know we'll, we'll have to think of one Well, Frederick, nice as though as, the, as as it has been talking to you. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to go and wander out onto the lonely streets of Stockholm 
and find my way back. It's been a pure pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Brett. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for the lovely tea and for the surroundings and for the, uh, the conversation. Den här podcasten producerades av Leon Media i samarbete med Nordic Spirit True White. Producent var Daniel Bäckström och Brett Anderson från Swade var hemma i Australien. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.